It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. You've heard the expression that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. According to today's guest, Dr. Paul Conti, what doesn't kill us can actually leave us with wounds that make life a lot more difficult. Dr. Conti contends that trauma alters our brains and changes the filters we use to perceive ourselves and the world. He joins us today to help us better understand trauma and how we can heal from it. Dr. Conti is a graduate of Stanford University School of Medicine. He served on the medical faculty at Harvard before founding a clinic. He is the author of the book, Trauma, the Invisible Epidemic. Welcome, Dr. Conti. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, doctor, you say that the vast majority of problems that you see can be attributed to trauma. What role does trauma play in the way we live our lives? Well, Trauma has an impact upon us that very often carries forward with us. So it can change the way that we view the world and the way that we view ourselves. So so a way of putting that is it can change the entire lens through which we see the world. And you know, we're familiar with the expression of rose-colored glasses, and what trauma can create in us is really the opposite, is a set of darker glasses or a set of glasses that are filtering out some of the most important or, or potentially most joyous uh, events in our lives or decisions we may make, and really kind of leaving us tinged with the negative, often with fear and with insecurity. Uh, because if we don't process the trauma, it impacts us. And, and the worst part of that is we often just don't even know it. A trauma that has the most impact on us, is it one that happens at any age or does it usually occur when we're children and our subconscious is being formed? Traumas have the greatest impact on us earlier in life. So before our brains are fully formed, which depending upon the criteria we're using could be mid to late teens or even mid to late 20s, we're still in these formative stages where trauma can impact the connectivity in our brain. And and this isn't just theoretical. We, we have a lot of scientific evidence that, that shows us how the brain changes or can change with trauma in ways that leave it very, very different without the ability for the brain to assess and know that, right? Because we're using the brain that's impacted by trauma to assess if we're impacted by trauma. And that's often why we don't see it. And our attitudes, for example, can change. We can go from thinking that we have a lot to offer the world and and we can make a good life, life for ourselves. We can go from that to thinking that, well, the world is too dangerous to navigate in, or I'm not competent or okay to navigate it. And these changes can occur in us. And the earlier in life that trauma happens, the more likely it is to impact us more broadly and more deeply. Doctor, I know in my own life, I spent a a great many years not even paying attention to my life. I didn't think about why I did the things I did or made the decisions that Mm -hmm. I made. 
And it was only once I started to understand a lot of this that I have become more mindful of my life. Do you think the majority of people even recognize what drives them? No, I, I don't think that we do. I think we, we have this idea that we are living in the present, but very often we are we're living more often in the past where the, the events and the disappointments or the fears from the past are, are very much with us, coloring our present. And then we're often looking ahead to the future and to the things that we're afraid of and we're trying to stave off. And so this is part of why there's such an emphasis on mindfulness and being in the present. But, you know, it, it, and it's a great emphasis, but if we're just saying that without actually helping people understand and, and engage in processes that let us assess like what, are, what are the burdens that we're carrying, what fears do they make in us, then, then you know, we're, we're talking about being in the present, but we're not actually doing the things to anchor ourselves in the present. You had an experience that really changed the trajectory of your life. Would you share a little bit of that with us? I think you're referring to, to my my youngest brother's suicide. Is that, yes. I, I think? And, yes. And yes. Yes. So, you know, it was a, an event that made me really stop and look at life and at what was going on in my own life and what had been going on in his life and and just how deeply the traumas that happened to us impact us so my my brother had had very serious medical issues when he was in his teens they'd come out of the blue and you know we could notice changes in him but but only after his suicide did we really see and understand how deep those changes were and how his view of himself from a person who was so early in life and had so much to offer and, and life could hold so many great things, it really shifted to one that was much more infused with with insecurity and with shame and with anxiety. And, you know, as strongly apparent as that was after his death, you know, we didn't understand it before, and I'm, I'm sure that he didn't understand it. And, and I think it's, it's an unfortunate example of how deeply trauma can impact us, changing us entirely in the ways that most matter, you know, without the person or the people around that person really knowing. And this idea that, oh, we're going forward with life, but the burdens of the past were creating such fear of the future that, you know, he was not able to go on with his life. So, Doctor, how do we turn this around when we have these types of experiences that impact us so greatly? How is it that we can then use this to move forward and to heal? Sure. We can look at what has happened to us, and we can look at it in a way that is honest and objective, right? Often what trauma creates is an automatic reflex of shame. And, and that, that's sort of like, like letting in, you know, one um, sort of monster or bad actor into our lives, right, that then paves the way or rolls out the red carpet for so many more. So shame is sort of the leading accomplice or the leading henchman of trauma. And when, when we look at trauma, we can understand that. We, we can understand, oh, what... what happened to me? What did it do to me? What has been the role of shame? And what else has it created in me? So, so for example, my brother's death created a strong sense of shame that, you know, this awful thing had 
happened? And, and did this thing happen in, you know, in good people, or did it only happen in people where there was, you know, there were these awful things to hide? And 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 even though, like, I didn't actually believe that, but it was a reflex inside of me, and and maybe I was, you know, one of the the people who should feel shame for not having seen what was happening or done more. And you know, my my views of myself and and what I could do or what I could be in the world were really changed after that. And it was only by looking at it and saying, wait, I can shine the light everywhere, right? I don't have to be afraid of thinking about this, talking about this, and, and I can understand like what this really is and what I decide that it means, as opposed to that essentially happening automatically for me because the reflex of shame gave me all those answers, right? Except they weren't real and true answers. They were they were very damaging answers and and by looking at them and understanding and deciding like what is actually true here i was better able to to have a perspective about it that let me move forward in life what's interesting you know as you're sharing your story i, I know sometimes people say well they think that because something didn't happen and and you know directly to them they weren't the person that was dealing with a medical issue or or um, dealing with a particular situation, it was a loved one that was. And so they tend to think that whatever's happening around them doesn't necessarily impact them to the same degree. But would you say that even just witnessing and being a part of something can have a tremendous impact on a person? Absolutely. The, the answer to that is yes. And, and the science proves that, right? We can see brain changes that come from trauma and we can see those brain changes if someone experiences trauma directly, and we can see them if someone experiences trauma indirectly or vicariously. The same changes can happen, and, and this comes from something actually very wonderful about us, right, that we have within us the capacity for empathy, and many people have empathy and, and are expressing and giving and receiving empathy all the time, and, and this is really wonderful but the other side of that is is it opens us, it exposes us to to the pain and to the terror of, of things that happen to other people. And if they're happening to people that are close to us, you know, people we love and care about, then the, the the risks of that are so much higher. But this can also happen by, for example, contemplating things that happen to other people. I mean, I think if if I stop and think too hard about everything that's say gone on in Afghanistan and the the impact upon upon good people there and people who are trying to live their lives and what has happened to them. That if I think too much about that, I can start to feel my heart rate goes up. I can you know, I can start to feel like I could start to sweat. I mean, there's a there's a way in which we you know we try and protect ourselves from thinking too much about the awful things that happen to other people, but we don't want to protect ourselves completely or we lose our empathy and and so that they're in lies the place where we're trying to find a middle ground of being involved in the world and being empathically attuned and understanding that compassion and community and humanity need to be part of all of our lives, but also recognizing that that same connectedness can bring us trauma from the awful things that can happen to other people. And the reason I asked that question, doctor, two years before I was born, my 14-year-old brother passed away. And the trauma that that caused my parents and my sister, I had never realized that 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 grief and, and that experience that my family had was passed on to me. And I lived the trauma of someone I had never even met. And so I think it's important that we examine our life, you know, everything that's happened and not necessarily 
what happened directly to us. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I agree so strongly with that. And and you're, I think, speaking to the psychological impact, right? That this impacted your parents, so then probably impacted how they raised you and how they treated you and their level of anxiety about your health and safety, right? That there were all these ways in which psychologically the, the, the person that you never met was, was present in your life. And, and it, it even goes deeper than that, that on a biological level, the way in which not the genes that were passed on to you, but the way in which those genes show themselves. So, so a gene that may have been active that would not have been active, or a gene that may not have been active that would have been active, was changed, impacted by a death that occurred before you were even conceived, right? So it takes right. nine months, right, from conception to birth. This was two years later, and the genetic profile of what genes are active in you was changed because of what was changed in your parents before you were even conceived. So biologically, you are impacted. Psychologically and socially, you are impacted. So that death is is so deep in your existence, even though, as you said, you came two years after it. And, and that is true for all of us around the traumas that people in the generations before us experience, that if we don't know our own histories, we don't understand the things that have even impacted our gene expression. It, it goes that deep. So staying with that thought process for a moment, we've all had a, an extremely difficult year and a half. And, and you look at the trauma that so many of us have felt through this pandemic. The first part is, what will that do to future generations from what you just described, women that are having babies now? What can we expect? And then the second part of the question would be, you know, what will we, the ones that have gone through it, what will we be experiencing? I think we're only beginning to even conceive of, of the negative impact of all of this, of the, the direct problems, mental and physical health problems that have occurred during the pandemic. So increases in domestic violence, increases in drug and alcohol abuse. These are just, just two examples of things that by happening by and large behind closed doors have not come to attention, right? These are things that people are generally not getting help for, and it's hard enough to get help for anything mental health related in our society, especially given how our healthcare system is structured. So if you add on top of that so many problems that have happened behind closed doors that are that are unlikely to be addressed, then then there are changes directly in the people who've experienced them. And then children conceived during or even years after the pandemic will bear the, the genetic signs of this in, in how their genes are expressed. So the, the, the dangers here are so far reaching and so deep and we're only beginning to see them. I mean, I think it's true that as a society, we haven't been able to get out of our own way. So, so far from looking at, hey, how do we best take care of ourselves? We end up fighting amongst ourselves so much that, that we're further hurting ourselves uh, when we're already you know, just turning our, our, our eyes away from, from how badly we've been hurt. And, and what we seem to be doing is, is perpetuating that. And I think we're going to see that in, 
in heart disease, in stroke prevalence, in cancer prevalence, in liver disease. We're going to see it in, in physical health ways that are very tangible and very clear to see. And we're going to see it in mental health ways, some of which are tangible, like suicide rates and addiction rates, and some of which will not be tangible, where people's mood is just lower and anxiety is higher and people are more avoidant and, and less likely to engage in the world, that we are going to see a far-reaching impact on all aspects of human life. I just can't imagine how it could be any different from that. And so this group trauma that we're experiencing, does it lead to thinking irrationally and, and do we lose our ability for a critical thought process? Yes, yes. This kind of thing pushes us towards a sense of, of people feeling beleaguered, right? People feeling a sense of vulnerability, of insecurity inside of themselves and feeling beleaguered, attacked, assailed. And and not everyone, of course, but, but, uh, but on balance, people tend to react defensively to that. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the, the defense ends up being expressed as an offense. So it promotes things like intolerance amongst us. And, and how intolerant are we becoming as a society where if people disagree upon anything, certainly and especially if it's political, then instead of acknowledging, oh, we disagree, you know, we can very quickly go to a place that says, oh, you who disagree with me are a terrible person. You're ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. We get so angry and so aggressive, and it promotes everything from the racism in the world around us to the political intolerance. And ultimately, we can get to the point where where so many of us are so afraid and so overly defended and at times so aggressive that we lose the ability to have to have a, a, a dialogue, right, to have a, a sort of common foundation that says, look, we're all people trying to, you know, we're trying to survive life and, and we're trying to, to make it as good as it can be. And can we just ally around some basic points so that we can all move forward in the world? And we, we do seem to be losing that. And if we don't stem this tide, if we don't really take a look at this and, and change how we're viewing trauma and what it does to all of us, and we run the risk of all of this getting worse and, until we potentially blow ourselves apart as a society. And I, I don't think that that's, that that's an unreasonable or a catastrophic way of looking at it. I, I see that because I just look at what's happening in front of us, the role of trauma, and all of the trauma we're accumulating without processing it. And, and I, I'm not sure where else that's going to go unless we make some real changes. Okay, so doctor, what are some of these changes we need to do? How can we take back our control? So, you know, in, in the in the book, I, I try and be very practical, right? Because I think we, we, we need to be practical. We're, we're rooted in the real life, and we want some answers for like, what can I do today to make things better? So, so you know, throughout the book, there are sort of antidotes for, for aspects of trauma, and some of them, uh, well, the idea is that for most of them, to be quite straightforward, so we, we can incorporate them into our lives. So, so, for example, even muscle relaxation in order to decrease the tension in 
side of us. That's just just one example. Um, there are examples around creating real life narratives. So so a true life narrative that acknowledges right, what actually happened in certain situations, what was done to us. Um, how we were impacted, so the kind of thing we were talking about, instead of the reflex of shame, uh, just promoting trauma, we can make real-life narratives that actually look at what's happened to us and what we choose to do about them. So another example would be anchoring ourselves to the foundations of our enlightenment, right? Like, how do we know and understand things about the world around us? We sort of anchor ourselves to the lessons of history, right? To the, the principles of the major religious traditions, not necessarily how people act out or behave themselves within those traditions, but, but the actual principles of the major religious traditions. What are the lessons we get from science and medicine, lessons from our own experience, and perhaps most importantly, lessons from early education? What do we learn in kindergarten about how to comport ourselves and how to be kind and thoughtful of others? That There are these foundations that we've strayed pretty far away from that, to which we can re-anchor ourselves. So, so there's just a couple of, of answers there, that there are a series of antidotes that we can follow, um, there are foundations we can ground ourselves to, and we can construct true life narratives that, that acknowledge trauma in our lives, but from the perspectives of truth, not the perspectives of shame. And doctor, adding to that, how important is it to remove some of those triggers, you know, to remove yourself from the media newscasts and social media and to get away from those things that perpetuate the trauma? Yes, it's so important for for people to take stock of, look, what is triggering me? So, for example, I do look at the news each day, but I realize I want to know the news, right? I want to know, has something happened? Has something happened in a place where I know people and I might want to contact them? Something directly impacts me or my family. Like, I want to know those things, but I want to understand the news very quickly, and then I want to move on with whatever's next in my day, right? Because otherwise, what the news can do is trigger us over and over again of something tragic, right? And then we, we see it over and over again, and we see every last detail of it, and maybe there are no more details to report, but there's, but there's no lack of news reporting the same frightening details over and over again. And then what we end up doing is triggering ourselves repeatedly, and that changes our system biologically more towards a fight-or-flight environment inside of us. And that then can create thoughts that run over and over again in our heads, and now we have trouble sleeping. So so the media is one example of understanding, like, what am I doing this for, right? And so, for example, if I'm looking for the news, it actually doesn't take me that long to assess what news is of interest to me, right? That's very different from from terrifying myself, right, by continuing to look over and over at again or exploring something that's not actually teaching me or telling me anything, but it is really just creating terror in me. And I think that's a lot of our consumption of news isn't actually as news, right? And it's not as entertainment either, right? It comes from a place often of anxiety and desire to know more so we can control things in our lives. And what we end up inadvertently doing is just repeatedly triggering ourselves. And, and again, if we look at this and have an awareness of it, we can change some of our decisions. I mean, I've written on prescription pad for a person, like, here is the prescription. It is not a medicine, right? It is, you know, 10 minutes of news a day, right? Or right. stop watching things that frighten you, right? And, and that can make a big difference in, in people's lives. 
The book is Trauma, the Invisible Epidemic. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Conti and his work, you can visit drpaulconti.com. That's D-R, drpaulconti.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? That trauma is widely present in our lives and in our society, and that if we don't look at it, it will drive us forward to places we did not intend to go. But if we look at it, we can create our own stories, right? It is not trauma that has to drive us. It is us that can guide our own lives. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. This is such an important conversation to be having. It's always important, but it just feels particularly relevant today. So I thank you so much for being here. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.